The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top 5 Bellator Fights with James Lynch. As per usual, we went deep, ladies and gents, so strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night Alright, what is up you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst whose work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way. We don't timestamp these too much, but yes, it's going down in the year 2020. Something called COVID-19 is going around, so we're finding different ways to entertain. And it's actually been a delight. These shows have been fun. I get to bring on a fun co-host, a guest co-host, and this time it's a returning guest co-host, uh, one of the hostess with the mostest, one of my favorite people in the industry. You guys know him. It is at Lynch on Sports, James Lynch. What's up, what an James? intro. What an intro. Thank you very much, Dan. Happy to be here. You got, you know, uh, every, anyone who listens to my podcast knows how much of a big fan I am of your work. So it's uh, great to be on here, Dan. Thanks. thanks uh, thank you very much. Oh, no worries, man. A, a pleasure to have you on. I think I've had you on for one or two before. It's funny. There's so, there's so many people that I want to have back on or reach out and have on for the first time. But with the UFC schedule, uh, not picking on the UFC or timestamping too much, but you know they're a pretty busy bunch. Then you add in the Bellators, which we're glad to see doing well. We're obviously going to be talking about here. They're going to be taking the spotlight. Uh, but you know you fi- you fix all these in, and and the, the schedule tends to get busy. In fact, again, not to timestamp too much, but the schedule toward the end of 2020, which is the year we stated we are in, may get busy again. So it's good to kind of stretch our wings. Uh, you know. Take a good account of how we got here, folks, as fans, uh, uh, if you're a fighter watching or if you're a fellow media member or colleague. You know, I think it's healthy for all of us, no matter what sect of MMA, to take a breather and appreciate history. Right, James? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, what a time to talk about Bellator because there, you know, I think we forget, you know, we know the Scott Coker era of Bellator, but there's a whole other section of Bellator before that under Bjorn Rebney that often doesn't get talked about a lot. So I'm glad to sort of dive in here and look at sort of the grand scope of Bellator as a promotion, which has gone through a lot of changes over the years. Yeah. And James, uh, off the top of my head, we don't have to get exact with dates or anything, but me and you've been it depends how you look at it. You know, uh, we've been following the sport for quite some time, but at the same time, uh, I don't think either of us are like UFC 1 or UFC 10 guys. But mm-hmm. it, it, what I'm trying to get at is here is the, the timeline gets a little shifty in perspective the longer you follow the sport, correct? Because like you said, there is this whole other era of Bellator that didn't happen. And when I was looking back to go uh, over these dates, which I'm going to lay context a little brief historical here in a second, like I did with the WEC show, you look at these and these names like Bjorn Rebney are commonplace for us, right, James? But you're like, you know, there's a good sect of fans out there that might not even realize what who that name is or uh, you know what what Bellator did and and were, were responsible for in the early days. Yeah, and it's it's got such a different history than than the UFC, where you know they've been on different networks. I remember when they were on ESPN Deporte, they were John Anik used to be a commentator yep. for them, believe it or not, back in the day. Like those are things the average fan probably doesn't know. There's also been a handful of UFC fighters who fought in Bellator who had like one or two fights and are now in the UFC. Jack Hermanson, I was doing I was previewing a fight of his against Chris Weidman a few weeks ago. Forgot he lost in Bellator. You know, Travis Brown, Chad Skelly. I mean, the list goes on of just fighters that you know were brought in, I think, for one or two fights, and then for whatever reason they weren't 
sort of a long-term option for Bellator. So that's the type of stuff I find fascinating just because, um, you know, you forget just how many fighters have competed for them. And again, just the, you know, the changes they've had from going to the tournament format to being under Scott Coker to, you know, bringing over a wealth of fighters from, from strike force and from Japan. And it's, it's been a cool ride to watch Bellator. And for me personally, um, you know, back when I first ever sort of uh, got involved in this sport, when I was at fight network, I used to cover a lot of the Bellator cards. So it was really cool for me to see that and sort of be, uh, you know, following along week to week uh, as every card sort of goes on. So that when we, you know, talking about, uh, you know, which topic we should go over, this was one that was really uh, cool for me because uh, Bellator is something I've been a fan of for a long time. Yeah, me too. And, and it, it's crazy because, uh, you know, you, you really can't pick over different eras. And before we get to the picking part, because again, if any someone's reading the top, you know, the, the, the show title for the YouTube video, thank you guys for joining us. Or you're listening on audio and iTunes. Thank you guys for joining us there. Um, of course, it's called Top 5. We will pick Top 5 fights. I'll get to how we do that here in a second. But while we're on this really juicy topic of history, I like where we're going here, James. Let's just lay mm-hmm. it out for the listener, shall we? So mm-hmm. Bellator is actually founded in 2008 by, by of course, Bjorn Revney. By the way, a little fun fact. I don't know if it's still streaming on Netflix, The Winnebago Man. It, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, about, yeah, that is a cool fact. Yeah, yeah, about, about, about a decade now ago. <laughs> wow. Now, again, they, it feels like Netflix was still kind of just kind of a couple of years ago. But no, no, it's been popular for a minute. Um, but yeah, there was a, you know, probably about 10 years ago, Winnebago Man, and it was essentially one of the first viral uh, mess ups. You know, you didn't catch a lot of mess ups and bloopers back in the day. You know, you got those classic Bill O'Reilly or George Bush ones that everybody points to, right? Uh, Winnebago Man was of that similar ilk, but even earlier than maybe those two cited ones. Anyway, he's not going to go into Winnebago Man trivia, but it is crazy that that guy was, uh, Bjorn, Bjorn Rebney was his son. Uh, although. Bellator was founded in 2008. Their first show doesn't actually kick off till 2009, like James said, on ESPN Deportes. By the way, James, uh, interrupt me, interject to add color anytime uh, you want here. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, January 2013, uh, you know, 2011, I should say. This is when I'm really becoming, and we'll, we'll touch on this more, but uh, I'm really kind of locking much more into it. I, I do remember actually the first Bellator commercials, like uh, seeing the logo and the helmet and, and, and like ESPN Deportes. I'm like, do I have that channel? Can I get this channel? But uh, I really start tuning in much more about 2011. They go to MTV2. Everybody remembers that. It was only yep. about two years. Uh, they spend on about MTV2. Because in 2013, then they go to Spike TV. And now they're on Spike. So again, there, there's very... And, uh, even, even before that, I'll mention this. Go, Don't mean to interject. Please, please they go. were on... Do you remember they were on a, a network? I think it was called... Um, what the heck's it called? It was like... I was going to say Plex, but that's not it. It's called something Epics. They were on Epics Network for a bit. I think that uh, in between I yes, think MTV2 yeah, yeah. and ESPN Deportes. So for a bit, they were on that channel, which like in Canada, we didn't have that. So to give a little Canadian context here for your listeners, I'm sure some of them are Canadian. Uh, this used to air on The Score in Canada, which is where I work now. But The Score used to be a television network and they used to uh, broadcast a lot of MMA fights. So uh, The Score used to hold all the Bellator events. And I I think they were on tape. To, actually, no, they weren't on tape delay. They had them, I think, the night of. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, Bellator used to be on the score, which was uh, kind of cool. So it's kind of coming full circle here for me. No, that, that reminds me. You know, I'm not techno- uh, t- uh, technologically <laughs> inclined now, but much less then. But I remember having a, a specific time uh, having trouble watching those Epix fights. Maybe oh, it was because yeah. of my cable setup. And also, James, I believe a lot of those were the outdoor fights, too, the, around that era. Yes. Because I, when I go back and watch them now for tape study, I was like, where was I? I remember these fighters. I remember watching MMA during this time. Where Oh, these were the fights that I couldn't track down on Epic. So thank you for filling that hole for me. See, everyone's No learning. problem. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned the outdoor shows because I remember um, I had to do like we used to do recaps at Fight Network when I worked there and we'd sort of recap like sort of the, any notable fights in the prelims and then obviously the main card. And it would be like a three minute recap. But I remember uh, you would watch the card because it was outdoors and there was a point when it was light out. And then uh, by the time I got to the main event, it was dark. And, you know, one of the fights that I remember that was outdoors was uh, Patricio Pitbull and uh, Wilson Hayes and Patricio Pitbull knocked out Wilson Hayes. And this one Hayes was fighting, I think, at featherweight. He would have been because Pitbull never moved up or down a weight class. And uh, yeah, I just remember that fight because that was right when it was starting to get dark and uh, they had all the lights going and I think earlier in the day they had you know some fights where it was outdoors but that's just something you don't see too often and Bellator has not done an outdoor show uh, in the Scott Coker era to my knowledge so I thought that was kind of interesting dude yeah no totally the, 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 yeah, that was that was uh, his second fight with Hilson Hayes first one he won by unanimous decision and he got yep. the knockout the second time around uh, Bellator of course was marketed as the toughest tournament in sports was their marketing of course you would go through a tournament cycle uh, not on the same night. Obviously, the athletic commissions were uh, advanced, uh, more advanced, uh, and actually there, uh, as opposed to how the UFC started in UFC 1. I bring that up because of the obvious parallels. Again, uh, for whatever you know, you, you want to say, uh, and not to you know further these stereotypes, but to say, oh, Bellator second to UFC or whatever, whatever. Like This organization, A, has come a long way that it should get credit for, and B, mm -hmm. from the Spike TV to where they were hanging out at, to starting in a tournament format. I mean, they, there's a lot of there's a lot of very you know tie-ins and crossovers and parallels. I guess is the word I'm looking here, right, James? As far as how how both organizations started, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, and I, you know I like the tournament format. A lot of people said it was kind of getting stale because you'd have they basically some of the cards just were not very strong. They'd have like you know a decent main event that was part of the tournament, and then the rest of the card would kind of be like eh, like um, you know. So it, it was it was tough for them from from that perspective. And the other thing they ran into trouble with, and I know we're going to get into some of the fights here, but like I remember when Eddie Alvarez lost his lightweight title to Michael Chandler, they're like, you got to go through the tournament again, and he's like, what? Like, are you crazy? I've been champion for a while, and you're making me go through the tournament. So there was, and I think they had to amend that if I'm not mistaken, where they said like if it was a close fight. They do like a rematch, but there were a few holes that didn't work with it. But the thing I liked about the tournament format was that you could have sort of a relative unknown and they could fight, say, a veteran. Like I remember Ben Saunders came over from the UFC, fought yeah. in their tournaments like that. He was a good guy to have in there because you knew who Ben Saunders won. You saw saw him on the Ultimate Fighter. You saw him in the UFC. He could fight like a Brent Weedman or whoever at the time. And, you know, Brent, like you would put Brent over, it would put, you know, Rick Hahn over whoever. Right. Like it was that's where I felt like the model did work. And, you know, and, and I think it really, you know, someone like Mike Michael Chandler and Patricio Pitbull, it greatly benefited them because you knew that they won the tournament or they were someone that fought someone notable in, in the tournament. So totally. uh, from that perspective, it was very successful from that end because some of the names that you're that are still in Bellator that are some of the faces were made through those tournaments. They were homegrown talent. I agree. And I, I like the tournament, you know, uh, format, too. I don't know if we're in the minority, James, there, mm -hmm. but it is interesting, right? Because at the same time, I can understand the complaints. I believe they got to season 10 or season 11, I believe, is their last season. Uh, 2014, as I believe, is when uh, 2014 uh, is the last year. They kind of they kind of do that. Uh, midway through 2014, June, uh, Bjorn Rebney and uh, Tim Danaher both announced their uh, chairman and CEO. In other words, folks, they both announced they're leaving within that same month. Of course, uh, they seem prepared for it because in steps Scott Coker, who we all knew from Strike Force, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll get to we'll, we'll give Strike Force to doing another show, but. Scott Coker, with all his experience from kickboxing and strike force, steps in, uh, finishes things out, and again, kind of like uh, we talk about at least with American presidents. I'm sure this you know, this stands true for any kind of political leader swapping in and out. There's a lot of the how much is just blame for the administration before them, James, and how much of it is excuses. But I would argue that uh, people should give Scott Coker a little bit of a break uh, as far as 
you know, looking at what he had to kind of deal with and build with the roster. And you look at to what he's done now, say what you will about it now, it's really come a long way as far as growing from that tournament era. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I think there's a bunch of different ways you could look at sort of Coker taking over and running with what he's doing. Like, he had to change the model because I think he understood that if you're going to beat the UFC or even be close to it, um, you have to go for sort of those bigger names. You have to get like the Jake Hagers and the names that are, you know, go beyond sort of our sport. And he's done a good job of that. You know, Dylan Danis is someone that's very popular for them and doesn't have many fights. AJ Agazarm, Aaron Pico, like they've really brought in just things that are completely different than what you would see in the UFC. And I think that's worked for them. I don't know if long term Bjorn's vision of just doing the tournaments would have been enough to get to where Bellator is today. So that's interesting. What's kind of funny, actually, is like PFL's kind of become this what Bellator used to be in terms of their yep. tournaments. I know they hate using the word tournaments, but it is. I mean, it's I know it's a regular season and playoffs and all that, but it's it's like a tournament, which is what Bellator used to be. And um, yeah, so I think I think right now, like, you know, Bellator's basically now they have sort of the luxury of having bigger pockets. So they're able to get more free agents coming over from the UFC. So the model's different, but it's really tough to say whose would have been better because like I just mentioned earlier, you know, you know, I don't think Michael Chandler would have gotten to the level he's at now if he didn't have a tournament. Right? Absolutely. So you can you can look at it in a bunch of different ways. And the other name I'll mention that departed from Bellator from the original regime, Sam Kaplan. If you remember, he was, yeah, I think, one of the right. VPs. Um, he did the podcast with Jason Floyd, the MMA Insider. Sam is is uh, like a wealth of knowledge. He used to work for I believe he worked for Showtime before that, like uh, in with Elite XC. So he's a guy that yeah, had a wealth yeah. of knowledge as well. And it's uh, he's, he's just someone that knows the history quite well. And actually, quickly, I'll just mention this. Sam is actually a big reason a lot of those Russian fighters came over early on if you remember they had like alexander shlomenko yeah that was all sam kaplan he had connections i believe through i think it might have been when he was working with m1 as well and and that sort of led to uh them bringing over some of that talent that we saw over there so uh credit to him as well because i know he played a big role in some of the the early uh you know sort of names that came through bellator james lynn's dropping knowledge i was actually just wondering about that today because i was thinking about that that's when we're talking about parallels and i'm like Okay, I can't remember, was Bellator late to the game with Russians? Because I'm thinking, like, you know, again, recency bias, right? I'm thinking about guys yeah. like Amosov and whatnot. But you're going back and you're watching classics. You're like, oh, that's right. Shlomenko, like, had his early had an early run there before even he got to the championship belt. He had an early run. And, you know, Tiger Sarnowski's another great name. You know what I'm saying? So, no, that's great. Yes, great great shot to Sam Kaplan, who I, who I heard of his name first in the Elite XC days, but... That makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Used Great to run a website. Him. Do you remember? Do you remember Five Ounces of Pain back in the day? That was his yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. Oh, used yeah, to write the was... column every Friday. So we're going a little bit deep here for all the OGs uh, that's been in the industry. Uh, these are some things that you'll remember. So absolutely. But but back to the uh, as we tie up this talk here, as far as the history is, just another interesting is, you know, whether criticism is the right word as far as levying things is what you what you like better the uh, Bjorn era or the Coker era. Again, let's not lest we not forget. Even while the tournaments were in full effect during the Bjorn era, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Um, you know, I don't want to burn any matchups, but like, you know, Eddie Alvarez was getting some uh, interesting matchups. So there, guys were like coming off losses and getting to fight him for the title. You know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. things like that. And those were mixed things because you're like, yes, we want to see those fights happen, but didn't you guys just say that's not what you're about? What are what, what, what yeah. you know? What are we doing here? We're with you. Just 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 pick a side. Yeah, they, uh, I believe, well, okay, so this is something that I think a lot of people forget about the history of Bellator. So 
Uh, first off, Bellator's biggest signing, if you remember back in the day, and we're going back to the Bjorn Rebney days, was Roger Huerta. Yes. Huerta was a big star in the UFC for a while. A lot of people forget that. Actually, I'm going to have an article totally. coming out in the score soon totally. uh, talking about kind of not one-hit wonders, but fighters that sort of had a big ceiling and then they just sort of fizzled out. Huerta's one of them. A lot of people forget Roger Huerta, first fighter on the cover of Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. um, with that fight with, I think it was Leonard Garcia that he had. But um, back to him, I remember they had the presser. Huerta came over. This was seen as like a big steal for them because I know Huerta, I believe he lost to Gray Maynard and I think Kenny Florin in the UFC and then the yep. UFC's like, okay. And so Bellator, you know, opened up their checkbook, brought him over. And this ties into what you're saying about Alvarez because if I'm not mistaken, I think... Huerta lost to Pat Curran, but then they gave him the title shot anyways, and they said it was like right. an injury thing. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you're referring to, right? Because that, and then Huerta lost that fight too. So it's like that was he was kind of a bust for them in a way. And in their defense, you know, part of the reasoning was, well, you know, we're having these guys having to wait so long. The champion, it's like you win the hundred thousand dollars, but now we're asking you to sit on the sidelines while another tournament plays out. So it's like that is true. They they did have to address that in some shape or form, whether or not you agree with how they did it. Um, that is a valid excuse, if you will. But then they would also do weird things like to keep their fighters active. Like, let's say another tournament hadn't wrapped up because that was the other issue. Like, you're the champ. You have to wait till the tournament finishes before your next opponent. So that was delaying things, too. But do you remember? I remember, like, I think it was Shlomenko or Christian Mpumbu, I know for a fact, lost a non-title fight. Do you remember this? And then he still had to defend his title and he was the champion. It didn't really make any sense. Um, I remember, I think Ben Askren had a fight that was not a title fight. I know Shlomenko did. I think Shlomenko fought... Uh, or no, maybe it wasn't. No, it was Hector Lombard, I think, fought like uh, some people that weren't like, uh, you know, part of the. Yeah, the he got him out of there like in the first round. So like you forget about it. But yeah, they were technically like in between fights. Yeah, absolutely. So they used to do stuff like that, which, again, was a little bit weird on their rules. And I know they had to keep everyone happy. But I remember there was stuff like that where you're like, eh, I don't think that really fits your, your um, you know, sort of mandate of the promotion. Certainly. But just just to just to just to cap it off, I, I think yeah. it's a great point, which we'll talk about more as far as what it, it provided. And the PFL comparison was fair because that was one of my f- favorite prospects about the PFL of, of being able to kind of see those shakeups, so to speak. And I think we would argue from that on odds perspective, um, we saw those both in PFL and Bellator. And what's the common thread there, folks? Tournament format, whether you like it or not. It allows for some fun shakeups. Uh, just one quick honorable shout here, which is not an honorable shout like we have at the <laughs> end of the show, but they uh, attempted to do their own reality show like the UFC. We're talking about parallels in 2013. Of course, it failed. It was called Fight Master. It only ran for one season. Uh, you had about four teams and, and drafting. I didn't watch too much of it, to be honest, even though... I watched uh, the whole season. You You're did? Talking, yeah, okay. I did. I remember who was on that. Joe Riggs was on that yeah, cast. Joe Riggs. Um, Joe Riggs, uh, who else was on there? Uh, Randy Couture um, and Joe Ra- Yeah, Warren. so the coaches were, I believe, Randy Couture, Joe Warren, Frank Shamrock. Uh, Frank Shamrock was the other one. I forgot who that was. And Joe Warren was. was one too, right? Or yep. did I, already, I think I already said Joe him. Riggs, um, yeah. You said Joe Riggs, right? Well, no, no, Joe Riggs, Riggs was, was a on the show. He was a contestant. Yeah, yeah, he was on the show. Um, who else was on the show? I feel like I talked to someone recently who was on that show. Well, Tim Welsh. The Mike Bronzoulis was on the show. Yes, Bronzoulis. He was in the finals yeah. against Riggs, right? Um, but I remember, too, that um, uh, who was it? Yeah, sh- who's Sean O'Malley's buddy who, like, he trains with, his, his coach? Tim Welsh, isn't that him? That's right. He was, yeah, See, yeah. He was, he was on that show, too. Yep. Um, and, the, yeah, there was a lot. Oh, um, ah, what the heck's his name? Eric Scallon, who's Dustin, one of Dustin yeah. Poirier's training partners in Louisiana. He was on there. Um, he's like a regional fighter, not knowing like notable. Um, but yeah, they, they had a lot of like, but the thing that, okay. So the, that show, like I did watch it, not, not super entertaining, but the problem with that show was, um, they, I think the winner got a title shot. That was the whole thing. Right. I think, or they, or no, they got a contract. 
I was trying to remember what happened. I know it was Bronzoulis and Riggs in the finals. Right. And then I think Riggs won, and then he left to go to the UFC again. Yeah, yeah, that was really weird. Uh, maybe because the show falling apart. I, I know it didn't uh, have the success. I don't know if that ha- had to do anything with the contracts or negotiations from that. But as you're saying this, I actually remember the show much better now because I remember a big tidbit piece of drama uh, <laughs> that actually, actually affected uh, people that I know and, and, and places, which I'm not going to go into here now. No, no, for sure. For but sure. actually, you know what? On, on, on that note, let us uh, let me timestamp this and, and, let us, and let, us get into, uh, let us get into our top five. Let's do it. And we're back on that note with the top five we've been building toward. Of course, for these top five shows, me and the guest co-host, which today, of course, is James Lynch, we're going to go back and forth like a tennis game, going from five to one. There will be crossover usually, at least one or two per episode. It seems like there's an average there, which is fine. It's because uh, these things are probably deserving. Although I will say and remind people, this is our top five list. James is going to be his top five list. Whatever your top five list, that'll be your top five list. It's okay. We don't need to go to war over it, but we can have a lot of fun discussing it. Right, James? We certainly can, and it's inevitable. Any top five list you do, I do a lot of articles that are top five. You always get people saying, well, actually, or you know, all that stuff. So it is what it is. I'm, I'm ready for it, though. Well, let's do it. And I can't wait to hear your list because there's so many fights to go through. So I know we're going to have some different picks here. It's going to be great. And to, to kind of help uh, that valve a little bit in this kind of in this kind of a format, um, whatever doesn't make James's list that it's close to, whatever doesn't make my list that's close to, we're going to get to that in the honorable mentions uh, list where, of course, if you ever want to uh, – uh, send them into the show. I was like, well, write them in. What, what, what day are we in, Dan? Oh, electronics, Dan. Yes. If you want to send them <laughs> into the show, come hit us up at all the social platforms. At least I made that easy. It's at the PYN podcast, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Won't spam your feeds. I only post when we're trying to get top five recommendations or when the show is out itself. So thank you guys for bearing with us. Thank you guys for subscribing on YouTube and uh, just sticking with the, with the show. I know all the shows are kind of uh, going through some changes during this time, so uh, it's been fun. <laughs> but uh, but but uh, you know it, it's been it's been it's been frustrating too. I'm sure for some. So uh, at, at some parts, so having this kind of uh, valve, if you will, is just nice to nice to use, man. Yeah, it's been great. All right, James, I'm gonna let you go first. Usually, I let the guests go first. Uh, if you want to go from number five, and uh, what did you get for your number five? Number five is probably the the hardest one I had choosing for what that's Well, worth. first, let me just mention that with when choosing when, when I decided to choose these fights, I meant I, I sort of went with fights that uh, typically were like back and forth or entertaining as a whole. I didn't go for necessarily finishes because I mean, if we wanted to go with knockouts, there's a ton of knockouts we could look at. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that were historical, you know, Emmanuel Newton spinning back fist over King Mo or something like uh, Henry Corrales's knockout over Aaron Pico, something like that. Those are I know fights that are fresh in people's minds, but I went more with fights that were all at war. So my number five pick and I don't know if this made your top five at all. L.C. Davis and Hideo Tokoro, Bellator 135. Now, the reason this made my list was a couple of reasons. It was a great fight, first off, for two fighters that not super well-known. I mean, L.C. Davis had a career in WEC, Hideo Tokoro, a veteran of a lot of different promotions. Um, but what was so cool to me is this fight just came out of nowhere. And if you watch that Bellator 135 card, it really stole the night for two guys that really aren't that well-known uh, in the grand scheme of things. And uh, they really brought it. This was an all-out war and uh, a fight that uh, I, I added on this list not only 
because it was a good fight, but because it's from two guys that didn't you didn't really expect it from. So uh, if you guys have the chance, go back and watch it. I believe this was on Bellator. They did their top 20 firefights. It made that list as well, too. So you can watch it on there on their YouTube channel. But this was just a great fight. And it was uh, it was it was one of those fights, again, that just sort of snuck up on us. And uh, really, it, it's the type of fight you would want to show fans that are, are casual and are like, I want to watch a good fight. This is it. Uh, just a lot of really good technique back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Hey, people uh, listen to this podcast. You know that's on my list. Uh, I believe that was on my uh, another top five list. Um, maybe top five uh, bantamweight battles. I want to say uh, either yeah. w- e- either way, it- it's absolutely it's awesome. You know, we just not the timestamp. Uh, the the previous top five show was top five WEC fights. WEC is not around uh, in 2015 when Bellator 135 goes down. But this is like a total WEC fight. I mean, first of all, Elsie Davis actually did fight in the WEC. But WEC was good about bringing over and utilizing their Asian talent in matchups. And this was one of those perfect storms that you would see there. But this is this is Bellator's to, to behold and take credit for because this was an awesome matchup. And by the way, forgot to mention, Davis won a split decision. This was back in 2015. Um, just great fight, though. Like, it was one of those fights where, yeah, it was a split. Sometimes when you see that, you're like, oh, really? Like, did the judges screw this one up? There was no loser in this fight. It was such a good matchup for both guys. Neither guy went on to, like, win a title or anything, but it was it was one of those sort of fights that uh, you don't really think of when you look at the history of Bellator. But it, I remember watching the time being like, that was friggin' awesome. Absolutely. And one of the things, I mean... And again, we're giving Bellator plenty of do here, so mm-hmm. it's not like anybody can accuse me of that. However, I will come clean, James, and mm-hmm. I did not watch Bellator regularly until I started covering it. As a fan, I watched it strictly as a casual, even when I was a hardcore. That's not a knock on Bellator. I wasn't yep. hating on them. It's just for many reasons that that was my situation, right? Um, yeah. But this was when I was lucky enough to catch live, man, and I'm so glad I got to catch this one live. You watched this one live as well, or at least not I there. I did, but yeah, I did. Actually, TV. I'm trying to remember. I, I either watched it live or I PVR'd it and I watched it later that night. There was a period when I was single, and so I would actually this. I'm trying to think. 2015, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I would have been in a relationship then, but um, but I was just thinking in general. Like there were times when I would have to prioritize like going out with my friends and then PVRing stuff and watching it later. This was not one of those times. So I did I did watch this live, yeah. Yeah, this was uh, yeah, no, this was awesome. And one of the things that uh, you know you remember so much and you don't realize. And I went back to rewatch, and there's some knees and kicks, and it's crazy because it's coming from the grappler Tokuro, who was an aggressive grappler and athletic guy at that. Especially when you look at the miles and his age, you know, uh, us age, Asians age pretty well, but Tokuro had some miles on him. But this was uh, this was you couldn't accuse him of his miles getting in the way of this. He he gave everything and was able to actually knock Elsie Davis's teeth out to the point where they were kind of just hanging out in his mouthpiece. And if you go on YouTube, I don't know if Beltor has this on YouTube, but they'll have a Jimmy Smith excerpt where he was just saying, you know, again this this touched Jimmy Smith as well, where he was like, uh, I saw him open his mouth guard and just there was just crushed teeth just kind of sprinkled about the grounds of the mouth guard in his mouth blood coming out and jimmy smith was like you know production with has this queued up to do a post fight this is in between while they're on commercial and says dude we can call audible and cut it like you can't talk right now and elsie davis is like no i fought my ass off to get that win to talk to you i'm going to talk to you and get my get my shine because he knew and i'm sure you can appreciate james that how important those interviews are and Big having time. that moment is Gotta get and that mic time. uh you can't accuse uh elsie davis having crushed teeth and still want that mic time give him his mic time baby yeah, no, uh, for sure. And glad, glad. Uh, yeah, it was just, again, it, like it's one of those fights, like when you think of L.C. Davis's career, you have to mention this fight because it was so significant for him. Absolutely. And, and and also just a great showing of Japanese MMA who, you know, I've talked about it before. 
they stereotypically and sadly there's statistic truth to it they don't typically do well and although Hideo Tokuro still lost this fight don't get me wrong um, he made a really great showing as far as, you know, a guy who, if you were a hardcore and you watched him over in Japan and you were telling your friends, like, no, this guy can scrap, um, he didn't let you down. He didn't let you down mm-hmm. that night because he came to fight. That was actually my number two. So uh, I will I, I will shuffle uh, I will shuffle uh, accordingly here. Um, mm-hmm. and I, But I, I will give you, but I, I will jump to my number five and I guess we'll, we'll deal with that bridge when we... See, now I'm even more curious that that's your number two, because I, I, I know there's a fight in there that you probably didn't. Well, maybe you got it. We'll see, because this is this is there, there's one fight on my list here that a lot of people forget about. And it's one of my favorite fights of all time. Uh, so if that's not a good teaser, I don't know what is. So. OK, that is a really good teaser. And yeah. I will admit that uh, you're not crazy because I'm just weird and have like weird affinities <laughs> for certain fights like these. And I'll put them really high. Like I think yeah. like Mark Hominick, Eve Jabouin is another another fight that I put, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll always put higher, higher on my list than most. Um, yeah. But this probably, you know what, it probably fits right around that that three to five on most people's list. So I, I don't think you're crazy at all, James, there. My number five, though, this one, um, this one's got recency bias. Now, James, you've yeah. you've covered much more fights uh, live than I have. But when you cover a fight live, you, you got to be honest, isn't there some type of bias? Maybe there's something on your list here, or I'm sure if we were doing uh, other lists, you would uh, you would say, you know what, if, if I wasn't covering this one live, maybe I have a different uh, opinion. Maybe this one doesn't make the list. You get what I'm saying? 100%. Yeah, actually, I think, uh, well, no, all these fights on here, I was not at the event, like, live. I think I might, I think most of them I've watched live, but I wasn't at, at the event for these ones. Because actually, I think I've only ever covered two Bellator cards that were not in Canada. Because uh, I used to go to the ones in Canada, because when I lived in Toronto, Casino Ram is not that far away. We used to go there a lot for Bellator cards. But now, like, they haven't been back to Canada since 2014. And yeah. so the only ones I've been to were the two, the last two L.A. cards. Um, the Or sorry, not not the most recent L.A. card, but the uh, I went Machina Musasi, and then I went um, Fedor and Bader. Those are the last yeah, two Bellator cards. Yeah, there. that's right. No, that, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. It's funny. Uh, if you're counting Dana White Contender Series, then I've been to more UFC events live. But to a lot of people's surprise, especially that I'm here in Vegas, I cover very little UFC and I've been to more Bellator shows as far as uh, covering things live. Again, it's not my, my beat. I'm an analyst, folks. I'm not a journalist by any stretch, nor do I claim to be. But um, that's the good. That's another good thing about uh, things like uh, Bellator as far as you know, fighters getting their start like we're talking about now. And we talked about at the beginning of the show. But again, something even for journalists or media members, it's it, 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 you know, you get to watch some really great names and up and coming names to kind of get your experience as far as that part of the beat uh, in, in this uh, symbiotic circle goes. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. And Bellator, as far as media goes, one of the easiest promotions to work for in terms of like, oh, hey, yeah. do you want to interview this person or whatever? Like, it's not it's, it's not as much of a rat race as UFC is. So. It, I mean, you know, you know, uh, pros and cons, and I'm not going to get into the hairs of it. And far be it <laughs> for me to be an authority to get in the hairs of it. But I will second on what you said, like as far as just lax. I, I put it this way. And again, it, it, it doesn't matter uh, when you're there as media, even if you're not a journalist. When I when I'm there, I'm I'm operating under journalistic rule. Believe me, I'm respecting that um, to the best of my ability. So uh, of course, everything's always professional. That being said, you can give credit for when you people are, are generally nice people, and everybody at Bellator is just a, a really nice bunch. And I, I will say that I know it should technically have nothing to do with your job, but uh, you know I, I've had nothing but uh but but good experience as far as like what you said, like if you you know a special request. Uh, and whatnot. I've never really ran into static as far as a media standpoint. Again, I'm not an authority. I don't have a lot of experience to draw from, but my experience has been good. Yeah, no, I hear you. All righty. Uh, and I, I bring that up because uh, I was in Hawaii for Bellator 213. Um, 
This was the first Bellator Hawaii card, and it was nice because I'm from Hawaii. It was a good excuse to go home and visit and all that. But there were some some really fun cards. You know, they were returning to the Blaisdell. We mentioned Elite XC earlier on this program. I believe Elite XC at this point was the last, tech, as far as major MMA, maybe there might have been a, a Hawaiian promotion before that all went down. But as far as major MMA, like it was the Elite XC days. So Hawaii hardcore MMA fans were, were waiting for this one. And Bellator gave us a fun styles match that I don't know we really get too much, uh, you know, uh, you know these days in MMA. Everyone's so well-rounded. But you really had a battle of two specialists between Ed Ruth and Neiman Gracie. And it was, you know, Ed Ruth, one of the most high, highly accoladed wrestlers in Bellator or, or MMA as far as on a high level and pursuing that in a very deep and meaningful division that is welterweight, right? Both in Bellator and out. That's a very deep division, folks. And you got Neiman Gracie, who I thought it was just, you know, I'll be honest. Like, when I was looking at this, I'm like, okay, I could tell you who's not winning. Uh, it's Neiman Gracie. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. this poor guy, because of his damn last name, is getting rushed into this thing so they can have. And I'm, I'm all about the Grand Prix. I'm not hating on it, folks, and I wasn't hating on it back then, but I'm just, you know. I'm being honest here. My thoughts. I'm like, ah, I like this idea, but we're 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 rushing with some of these names here. Like the, the Roy mm-hmm. McDonalds. That makes sense. You know the uh, the uh, Douglas Limas. That makes sense. Obviously, even the Michael Page. It's about time. But Neiman Gracie. I was like, oh, are, are we doing him any favors here? I don't know about that. And even Ed Ruth, who you can make that argument, especially after this fight. But there was a lot of hype on Ed Ruth, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I was right there with the hype train. I picked Ed Ruth to win this fight, James. And I'm watching, and boy, was I surprised. You get Ed Ruth, and he's not afraid. He's going right into the lion's den, man. I mean, he is fighting right inside of Neiman's guard, not scared at all, showing off his base and balance. Neiman's trying to do these crafty sweeps, and we're just seeing these really high-level scrambles if you're a grappling fan. And as the fight goes on, we see Ed Ruth start to gas out. And it's crazy because this is one of those fights where you know, I point to this fight. I pointed to Darren Wynn, uh, a couple of his fights. Having those high-level credentials and even coming from a high-level camp is not enough these days. You can't, no. even if you come in with the quote-unquote, wrestling is the best foundation. I'm not going to argue that, but I will say that that whole, they may, wrestling may still be number one, folks. But it's not, it's not a big chasm. People are learning how to wrestle and deal with wrestlers. We saw that with Darren Wynn and Darren Stewart, and we saw it with Neiman Gracie and Ed Ruth to the point where Neiman was hitting double legs at a certain point and taking Ed Ruth down midway toward the end of that fight, folks. And Neiman Gracie ends up getting the submission, the chain and the exchange. You got to go back and watch it for yourself. You won't be wasting any time. And I did not expect it coming. Maybe that's why I felt like a dummy, but I was just like, wow, that was a great fight. And Neiman Gracie proved me and many wrong. And not just that. The other thing was that Neiman didn't have a lot. Of, I mean, Ed Ruth didn't have a lot of MMA experience either. But the, just the what you're seeing with both of these guys coming together, how high level that fight looked for a pair of fighters that, you know, come from different disciplines and really don't. Because, like, I'm looking now. I mean, Neiman Gracie has, what, 10 fights total? Like, that's not a lot. That's like, you know, there's regional fighters who have more fights than that yeah. and, and still can't even get in the UFC. And that was the fight as well. If you talk about significance, that got Neiman Gracie the fight with Rory McDonald. I know he ended up losing, but still, that was not even a thought. I don't think at the beginning of this tournament that those two would have ever fought. So um, I'm with you there. I actually feel like I don't know how I left this off my list because you're right. It was an amazing fight. I don't have it on here. But you you bring up a lot of good points that not only the significance of it, but the fight itself. It, it was a really awesome fight. And uh, that would definitely get an honorable mention on my list because uh, 
uh, I, I can't believe I forgot about that one. That was an awesome fight. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll age well with time too. I think that one will age more like wine as far as being one of those classics that Bellator can point to as far as their li- library of classic styles matches or classic mm-hmm. matches in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, probably one of the more newer ones on my list. I usually try to try to try not to go too new people that know me. But that was my my number five, sir. Um, your number four, Miss Mr. Lynch. My number four, we're going to go back to Temecula, California, a place where Bellator hosts a lot of events, home of Dan Henderson and, and everywhere else. Uh, Bellator 219, Brandon Gertz and Syed Watt. Now, if you remember that fight, two guys that you know have kind of bounced around weight classes, uh, welterweight, lightweight, you name it, kind of been you know staples for Bellator. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I believe both have fought in the Bjorn Rebney and the Scott Coker time, if not both early in the Scott Coker era. But here are two guys that are still on the roster haven't won any titles or anything like that, but they're so exciting that that's why they continue to get fights. And we saw the culmination of that when these two fought. Brandon Gertz ended up winning a decision, but just a high pace the entire time. Two guys who are not afraid to you know, stand and bang and stand and trade. Two fighters coming from good camps too. Brandon Gertz, a main training partner of Justin Gaethje out in Colorado. Trains over there at, I think it was Genesis before now. I think they just merged with Elevation. So, you know, really good camp there. And with Syed Awad, trains in California with TJ Dillashaw, with Juan Archuleta, uh, Georgie Karahakian. Like, again, really high level guys. So we saw sort of all that come together in this fight. And, you know, the implications for this was not necessarily a title shot or anything along those lines, but it was a significant fight for both guys in staying relevant and keeping that stock up of being entertaining. So if you guys haven't watched it, you know, early on, these guys were throwing. And the thing I loved about this fight, uh, Dan, is that even in the third round, they're still throwing leather. And, and it, you know, the, the cardio was just at a, like, I mean, Brandon trains at elevation, uh, you know, Syed, obviously uh, their camp is focused very much on strength and conditioning. We saw that on display in this fight and it was just such a classic matchup. And uh, yeah, it, it made my number four list. It was, it was not hard to pick this one. Dude, I'm glad you mentioned these two guys' names. Um, one of them will be uh, on a, on the honorable mention portion. As I, as you all know, I do a truncated version of these for MMA Junkie called the Fight Vault. And I'm only able to put two honorable mentions, so I usually put the best ones for whatever that's worth. And there's a Brandon Gertz one in there for sure. But uh, Brandon Gertz and Sadawad especially, I'm a big fan of Sadawad. I know I've been using this term a lot lately, but these guys are perfect. And I know I've been talking about wrestle boxers a lot lately. But these guys are great plug-and-play action fighters. Catchweight, welterweight, lightweight. Both these guys have all three of those on their record just for Bellator alone. And they all have memorable fights at all of those iterations of weight classes too. I mean, so picking them on their fight, you know, Bellator 219 where they fought each other, that's a great, great pick for a fight. And also just, it's a great excuse to shout two of kind of the unheralded action fighters. I mean, again, like, you know... Of course, you know, uh, UFC names are always going to be quote-unquote more notable. But not to compare, but it, it, if anything, give credit to what James is saying by by speaking the parallel. But it's like the Jim Millers or Joe Lozons. They never 100%. got to a title great, great shot, analogy. but everybody loves those guys, right? They never even yeah. got into a, a number one contender fight, I don't think. Maybe maybe Jim Miller did against Benson Henderson. But splitting hairs here, the point is, like, uh, Bellator has their own guys. And whether we realize it or not... Uh, they've quietly developed quite the resume. Go look at these guys. We're not just talking about this fight here, folks. Like, I, I don't want to burn any potential future ones we'll talk about, but you can go look at both these people James just talked about, and there are fun fights up and down the board. Sadawad definitely goes back to the Bjorn Rebney days. He's got some early ones on there. Sadawad, was he the one that upset Will Brooks, I yep. feel like? Yes. Yeah, that's yep. right. 
Yeah. So that, yeah, you're right. He was Bjorn Rebney Day. And, uh, the, you know, fight that didn't make my list, but I considered Brand any of the Brandon Gertz and Derek Campos fights. Those were unreal. Oh, yes, so, absolutely. absolutely. So those as well. Like, again, if you're looking at, if you're, if you are a fight fan, you watch Bellator and you're looking to, you know, have some friends over and want to watch some fun fights, any Brandon Gertz or Sayada Watt fight is usually pretty entertaining. So I would recommend uh, checking those out because those guys, stand up fighters, all action, all the time. And, you know, they're not going to, neither of them are going to probably going to collect any gold in Bellator, but they're going to be like those staple guys like like uh, Dan referenced to like your Jim Miller. So yeah, can't go wrong with either guy. Well, these guys are staple guys for Bellator, but for a different reason, James. And this mm -hmm. fight, I'm, I'm leading into my number four here. Nice. It's kind of perfectly what you said. What, I, I love what you said to start the show uh, when you were laying context for your list, right? Which was, it's not necessarily about the finish. And I'm the same way, by the way. And so I, I totally sign off on what you said. But basically that... Um, you know, back and forth fights, meaningful fights, uh, etc. And I think this ones check all that off the, all, you know, uh, they check all the boxes minus the finish box, which mm. is Bellator 23. We're going way back. June 24th, uh, 2000, 2000, uh, 2010 there. This was Joe Warren versus Patricio Pitbull one. Joe Warren wins by split decision. This was for the vacant featherweight title to conclude, uh, conclude that tournament. Um, this fight went to decision. It was just it was just a classic it was really a classic fight. You got Patricio Pitbull who's, you know, just hailed for his jiu-jitsu credentials and he's in that stage where he's going from a the Brazilian brawler to actually like getting technique. He he's not quite there where he's varying in the body shots. He's definitely not the karate stance pitbull that we know now. Okay, folks, you gotta go this is ten years ago we're talking about, okay? He's still very young. But He's able to surprise Joe Warren, again, who is, like, you want to talk about, and, and James, feel free to jump in here, but, like, I don't know if this would ever be a top five list, but, like, if you just wanted to parse out and argue who had the, the toughest three, four, or five fight start to their MMA career, like, Joe Warren's got to be a front runner oh, yeah. for number one off the top of my head. I mean, I didn't see this fight, but I remember at the time going, wait, some dude who's, like, barely ever fought MMA before just upset Kid Yamamoto? That's right. Yeah. What? And then he, yeah. And, and that, and that's, you know, we talked about big signings for Bellator early on. Joe Warren was a huge signing yes. for them at the time uh, when they got him because uh, he was, you know, he had such a little experience. So it made sense. The UFC wouldn't be interested, but they, he was another guy that was the face of their promotion for a while. And he used to have, they used to do, Bellator used to do these vignettes. Do you remember this? Where like they would, uh, you know, like kind of mm -hmm. like whether a fight was coming up or whatever. And there was one with Joe Warren where he's lying like on like outside on like a, uh, like a pool area with his belt. And he's like, Oh, I'm just keeping this thing nice and shiny or something like you can watch those old vignettes they used to do they were they were hilarious and like he'd be with like mercedes and jade bryce or whatever and it was it was awesome so joe oh, warren huge, huge part of bellator's early history oh, it was great and and they referenced that too in the commentary and in fact the great part about this is i think joe warren only had what one or two fight they both only had one or two fights this is the introduction yeah. to both these characters folks like this is the culmination of, of their introduction i should say and Joe Warren's brash and commentary, they're riding the line fine, not doing nothing wrong. But at the same time, you can tell they were like, they're letting you know, like, this guy's a, a bit more cockier than perhaps his resume deserves for him to be talking like this. Let's see yeah. how he does. And there, mm -hmm. everybody was pretty skeptical, even after he, you know, granted, he did suffer one loss, whereas Pitbull was actually the undefeated fighter heading to this one. Of course, Joe Warren, you know, he said he didn't tap against Bibiano Fernandez, but he wasn't going anywhere. It was a verbal uh, it was it, it was stopped justly, okay. But yeah. yes, Joe Warren actually had that loss. But even despite the good things that he did, people were still doubting him. And uh, in comes you know the jujitsu guy and takes down the Greco Roman world champion. 
You know, uh, I mean, world, I mean, world class wrestlers kind of thrown around, but Joe Warren's one of those guys in MMA that can that can you know uh, carry that title and you know without shame. Uh, wrestling was his thing, and he just got taken down. Not only does he get taken down, he gets smashed on both on the feet and on the ground. Uh, you know, Jason Herzog, who ten years earlier, credit to Jason. You know, you, you could have said that he stopped it, and, and and he's using maybe a slightly different version. But Jason Herzog is doing one of the things why I like him as a referee. He's one of my favorites. And he's saying, "Move, fighter, move, fighter." You know, uh, Joe Warren's flattened out on his back, taking punches. It should have been a ten-eight round, easy. Uh, but this is 2010, folks, where ten-eights for whatever reason aren't given out. I mean, 2010, by the way, this is the same year that uh, uh, Gray Maynard versus Frank Yeager two happened. You know, whether right. it's like the only 10-7 you could argue in MMA happened. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So these scores aren't given out. Round two is pretty close. The first half of the round, literally, literally the first half, up until the 2 minute 38 second mark, I believe. It's all Patricio Pitbull. He doesn't have Warren in as much trouble as the first one, but it's all him. And then Joe Warren finally gets his takedown and spends the rest of the round on top. Uh, punching Joe Warren, uh, wash, rinses, repeats. Sorry, I can't talk today. (laughs) Uh, Wash, rinses, and repeats in the third round. Of course, again, folks, this is a tournament final for the championship, so it wasn't five rounds. This only went three. In in my mind, it probably should have been a draw. Uh, If not, you could have really made an argument as well for for, for Patricio Pitbull. One judge did give it to Patricio, but the other two... Went 29-28, Warren. Small side note as I went to rewatch this one, James. You know how sometimes when it's a close decision, especially if it's like one where it, it shouldn't be a split decision, and the mm-hmm. fighter, like, hears a, a card go against them, where, like, him and his camp, like, what? I thought I had this one. They get worried, right? But mm-hmm. then you hear, like, the 49-46 card, or you hear a 30-27 card, and you see the fighter nod their head before the... Right? Because they know. They do the math. They go, oh, okay. There's no way... Okay, maybe you can make an argument that they gave him two... But there's no way they gave my opponent three rounds. So the fact that I just heard 30-27 means the card is going to be for me. Right. Yeah. Okay. You, do, you do see that a lot. Yeah. Right. Now, 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 if you go back and watch the decision, before they announced the, the card, they actually announced the judge's name. And when they say the judge's name, there's a pause. And you see Joe Warren. Yes. He goes starts celebrating already. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why does that judge's name make Joe Warren immediately start celebrating? There wasn't a score, Red. It was mm-hmm. a legitimately close fight that probably should have either been a draw or maybe gone against him. Why is he so confident? And I know I'm, I'm going into the weeds. I don't have an answer for you, folks. Spoiler alert. But I noticed that, and it just seemed really funny to me. I'm like, you should investigate hmm. that. Maybe they trained together or something, or he knew him. I would imagine. It was totally. And again, I know I sound super tinfoil hat, and you can go ahead and throw the Eddie Bravo title on me. I'll gladly take it. But don't do it without going to watch this fight because it's. it's I need to rewatch that fight because I remember I watched that live at the time and I thought Pitbull won. I just went actually when you were talking, I went on to MMA decisions. I noticed, I guess, because the fight was so old, they didn't have anyone submit scorecards. That's usually how I determine like whether a fight was, you know, uh, made the right call or not. But I'll have to go watch back. I wonder because I I know even still interviewing Pitbull to this day, he'll bring up that fight and be like, yeah, I definitely won that. So um, yeah, I'm curious. I have to go back and watch it because I do. I feel like when I watched at the time, I thought Pitbull won, but. 
because, you know, Warren was like their guy. He's their company guy, too. So I don't know if that played a role. So it's, you know, we'll see. Not to discredit Warren. He's had no, a great career. No, yeah. You know, two-division champion for Bellator. I mean, that's tough to do. But, um, yeah, it's just uh, I'd have to go back and watch the one. But great, great pick for that one. That's that that's awesome for sure. Thanks. And, in fact, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not trying to throw shade at George Warren. In fact, I really wanted to get him on this list because I love him for this brashness. There's, like, a weird line you can cross with me where, like, I don't like things. I don't agree with things. Uh, like for yeah. example, Colby Covington. Do I agree with him politically? In no sense or form. But watching him piss people off, I'm not going to lie. Part of Dan Tom kind of gets a bit of a giggle out of that. I know you can yeah. call me a bad person. I'm just being honest. Uh, that doesn't yeah. mean I believe or support or anything like that. But uh, I felt the same way about Joe Warren. Like This guy won me over. At first, I was like, who is this guy beating my dude, Kid Yamamoto? So in, in no way am I trying to throw shade. But just to cap that note, the judge's name was like Ken something. It wasn't a recognizable name. And again... This was Joe Warren, who was really early in his MMA career. So it's not like you're in some regional show, you're a veteran fighter. You hear two whack scorecards from like some random names, but then you hear like Marcos Rosales or some other name that's recognizable, and you go, oh, thank God. So well, you can't even say it was that case because, again, Warren, not a veteran enough to know the names. And this guy's name, I don't even know this guy's judge's name for whatever that tells you. So interesting stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll have to go check that out. All right. Number three as we work past that. Um, my number three was easy to pick. Did you have trouble picking your number three, James? Um, I didn't. No, I had. I when 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 you told me about this, there was a couple I sort of had in mind, and then I dug a little bit deeper, and then I was like, okay, there's some I was going to stick with, and then some I just kind of swapped in and out, and uh, yeah. So, um, no, it was, wasn't too bad for me to answer your question. But let, let's hear your number three first, or, or, or did you want? Or, We'll do the Chinese yeah. fire drill. That's fair because yeah. uh, I don't have a number two. So let, let's, uh, you sung my battleship. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, yeah. but this was speaking of, again, speaking of wrestlers, speaking of guys who uh, have shticks that might not have been popular, whether they're shticks or just, they were just that confident, which I think they were just that confident. And, uh, this was Ben Askren. Now Ben Askren, there's probably not a lot of fights off the top of your head. Even if you're a supporter of Ben Askren, we'd be like, that was an awesome fight. This was one of those awesome fights, but more so than that to me, this was before Askren won me over. I was vehemently rooting against him because I was an extreme couture guy, James. And one of the guys that Haran. was always, yes, Jay Haran. I mean, I, I love Jay Haran. He was always in the gym. He was always, uh, even though he was one of the guys like Mike Pyle, who was like team captain of Team Greenlight, for whatever reason, he was always ridiculously nice uh, nice to me in my, all, all my interactions with him. So I'm a Team Jay Haran fan for life. Um, so obviously bias here, folks, bias for this pick, but yeah, I was so biased. I'm rooting for Jay. And even when I go back to watch this fight, it's hard to like put the bias aside. I'm still going to think Jay Huron won this fight. I'm, I'm going to love to throw the ball to you here in a second, James, to hear your opinion. But this was of course at a uh, Bellator. Whoa. Not two, three. Well, I wrote the wrong thing one there. Uh, I actually don't have it pulled up for me because that's how good I will, the I will, I will, I will find it for you. That's, uh, that's the power of, uh, of the internet here. But yeah, I remember that fight as well. And that's another one I got to go back and watch because I don't, I feel like at the time I might have had Haran winning that. It was close. It was very close. And of course, that was, that would have been Askren's first uh, title defense, I think, because you know, we were talking about non title fights. Yes, that's right. Ben Askren fought Nick Thompson, the GOAT Thompson, after he won the title because the tournament was still wrapping up. Do you remember this? Yes. Yep. So he beat Lyman Good for the title, and then he fought Nick Thompson, then he fought Jay Heron, and that was a split decision. Let me quick – oh, yeah, that was Bellator 56, by the way. 56, that's right. I had a different So let me let there. me just look as we have the time here. I'll quickly look up and see if any media uh, put any scorecards in for that fight. 
uh, Haran. Let's see what they say here. And it's one of those fights, I believe, that it, 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 everyone can agree that they pretty much all had it even, um, regardless of what rounds you scored, had it even going into the fifth kind of. It was one of those fights. So all it was only people from Sherdog, and they all had Askren winning. So that's interesting. Okay. So I, I'd, have, I'd have to go back and watch it, though, anyways. But um, funny side note on that fight. So when uh, Askren beat Lyman good um, at the time for the title, that was a fight where Askren took a lot of damage as well. If you remember, his face was kind of like purple in that. Oh, one. Yeah. I think it was that fight or was the Huron fight. I can't remember. But I remember after the fight, no, that might have been the Huron fight, actually, now that I think about it. But uh, there's a funny – like, Askren, you know, he's, you could see the personality early on in him. But there was uh, – after he won the title, they were asking him about, oh, you know, who, who's next, who's next or whatever. And uh, Askren made some joke about Jay Huron. He says, I saw Jay Huron in the back. I better not talk too much smack or he might smack me or something. Like, he made some joke about Jay Huron, I remember, after one of his fights. And I thought that was cool. And it, just the way he said it was really funny. I'd have to go find the soundbite. But he did it a lot better than, obviously, how I said it here. No, no, I remember that too. And I think it was the Lyman Good fight because when I was doing my tape study, I remember watching that. And I think that was a less controversially scored win for Askren than this was, despite him yeah. looking visibly worse. Um, yeah. Because you can you can trace the damage down, and the rest of the rounds were dominant, right? And the damage actually came to a knee, and it was one of many knees that Askren actually ran into. I went back to watch all of his fights a couple times, but specifically before the Jorge Masvidal fight. And I remember one of the things ultimately siding with me to pick, pick against my guy Jorge was not just a stereotype against Jorge against wrestlers, but... Uh, that lineman good fight in particular that you just referenced, James, like watching him just take this hellacious knee and keep going forward. And I'm like, oh, even Ben Askren just has one of those chin slash like skull structures where you can take knees. All right, I'll pick him against Jorge Masvidal. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think, but you know, that wasn't a bet. Like, listen, people were like, oh, I, I was picking him out. Like, Look, Masvidal had struggled with fighters that were able to take him out of his element, whether it was Maya or Wonderboy. Like if you and, you know, Askren had that type of wrestling where he would neutralize guys like Douglas Lima or whoever, where they couldn't utilize their weapons. So that I mean, I don't think like going back, I think nine times nine times out of ten, I still would have picked Askren. Right. So it's true. True. But but yeah, this fight was uh, this fight was a close one. And again, folks, this is this fight took place in 2010 if it's in the Bellator 30s. okay? so again, MMA judging. This is uh, the era. October 2011. Yeah, to be exact. Yeah, this is the era where if you're on the if you're on the ground even if you're not doing damage um you're getting the round or if you're on the feet like Diego Sanchez and you're you're hitting air but you're coming forward and swinging really really hard and looking like you mean it you're going to get that round like whether you agree with it or not that was kind of the state of MMA judging 10-8s were not being given um damage was not being taken in consideration especially in comparison to a takedown so if this fight maybe happens, and I know I'm, I'm biased here, folks, but if this fight happens now, like a lot of Askren's fights, it, it might not it might not go toward him. Uh, yeah. Maybe not like a lot of Askren fights. I'm exaggerating there, but but this one for sure. And I just I, I would be remiss if I didn't put this on the list because again, whether it was a good fight or not, it actually was a good fight. You could argue it was one of Ben Askren's best fights of his entire career. But it's also one of those fights I couldn't deny because it it got that reaction out of me. I I. I I've never been. This is probably the first Bellator fight. Yeah, this is the first Bellator fight that probably got me invested. Great fight. I I considered that one for my list as well. Um, my number three is actually a fight that might not make a lot of lists because we couldn't watch it live. This was one of the cursed fights that was tape delayed, if you remember. But I did have a chance to watch it later. And coming in at number three for me, Bellator 209 in Israel, Patricio Pitbull, Emmanuel Sanchez. Great fight. Uh, 
at, you know, Pitbull ended up winning a unanimous decision. What I loved about this fight was that, like, in my opinion, and I could be, you know, I might get some people giving me smack for this. I think the, you know, if you want to look at featherweight fighters outside of the UFC, to me, there's three guys that stand out. It's Patricio Pitbull, it's Emmanuel Sanchez, and it's AJ McKee. Those are the three to me that I look at that I say they could fight in the UFC, and I think they do quite well. Now, Pitbull, uh, he, you know, he was winning his fights before. I mean, even now we see him, you know, when he finished Chandler and everyone else. But this was a fight that he was really pushed to the brink. And uh, Emmanuel Sanchez threw everything he could at Patricio Pitbull. You could have argued that Emmanuel Sanchez might have won this fight. That's how close it was. But the thing I loved about it is we saw a little bit of everything in this fight, whether it's, you know, a lot of stand-up, some groundwork as well. We saw some wrestling. There's, there's a bit of everything in this fight. And really, like, why I love this fight so much is that it was so close. And it's someone like Pitbull who so high level that you know he was pushed to the brink like that that for me was something that really i thought was so interesting and for Manuel sanchez just the growth he's had since moving over to rufus sports since you know honing those skills you know here's a guy that had a rough start to when he got into bellator and you know had some setbacks and had some close fights that didn't go his way and even though he didn't win this one i think this is one of those fights where he won more fans after this fight and that's so rare to happen in mma uh where you lose a fight and you end up getting more fans like again a lot of people didn't see this live because it was in it was uh you know on tape delay but uh, it was one of those fights where uh, it definitely uh, captivated a lot of people. And, and I think even now, if they had a rematch and it could potentially happen with this uh, Grand Prix that's going on, um, I don't know who's going to win because it's that they're that high level at this point. So um, that was definitely a fight that uh, I had to put on this list just because of the significance and how the fight played out itself. That's a great shout, man. I, I'm a big Emmanuel Sanchez fan. He's another uh, action fighter. Uh, durable, high pace. Uh, just, just the kind of fighter that I, I like to watch and... And, uh, and yeah, this was, you know, when I, when I go back to watch this fight, I agree because I'm like, I don't feel like this fight got its due. I don't know if it was because it's tape delay or what, but when you're watching it, like, don't get me wrong, Patricio Pitbull's been in a ton of close and competitive fights. He's, I don't want to know if I want to go so far as to say he's giving rounds away, like in the Robbie Lawler sense, but yes, we've seen him drop rounds and hence, you know, be in these close fights. But when you're watching this fight versus Emmanuel Sanchez... You're seeing Emmanuel Sanchez, whether it's on the ground, uh, even if he's on the bottom, he's able to keep pace, get a scramble going, keep the fight going, and keep the fight competitive enough to where you're like, Pitbull can't be sleeping. I'm Pitbull's really got to go into fourth and fifth gear here. He's really got to go into those alternate gears and really show his full skill set, which he did. Um, you know, he really he dug deep like a champion, and I don't think either guy gets credit from it from from Emmanuel Sanchez being. Uh, such a good challenger who was already deserved a challenger, but really proving it uh, or, you know, Pitbull for just showing the depth. I mean, obviously we're going to point to big names like the Chandler win, which is huge and he deserves credit for it. But yeah, I don't think he gets the credit um, for, uh, for this fight in, in general, James. Good shout. And I think Pitbull, as far as the grand scheme of MMA, does not get enough respect for the the skill that he... I mean, we're talking about a two-division champion in Bellator, a guy that was not supposed to beat Michael Chandler. He did. He doesn't speak English, so that's, uh, you know, it's a knock on him in the sense that he doesn't get his name out there a little bit more. But I always interview him when I get the chance because, uh, you know, his, his manager usually translates for me. And he's he's so skilled, and I wish this guy got more credit because, you know, anyone who says, oh, he'd get destroyed in the UFC, he wouldn't. He's good. He's good in lightweight and, and at featherweight. And he trains with Henry Cejudo. And how do you think Henry Cejudo's gotten better? It's because he's working with Pitbull and vice versa that's one of the things too like I think the Pitbull from a couple years ago that fought Daniel Strauss fought that Emmanuel Sanchez that night I don't know if he wins I think we've seen him evolve
evolve over the years. Because if you remember when he started with Bellator, fought a Canadian guy in his debut, Will Romero, uh, ended up winning by heel hook in that one. But uh, he's just gotten so much better over the years. And uh, and that was sort of a culmination of that, of the skills that he's developed in getting a win over a really tough guy in Emmanuel Sanchez, who also has uh, evolved as well. So that was what was so cool about this fight. It's like two fighters really coming into their own. Before totally, James. Before we get to number two here, because I, I already gave my number two, and uh, mm. I'm going to put it to you to go again. Yep. For one, I think if I were to insert like a a last minute number two, I have a feeling we would still end up at the same one. You can tell me if I'm right here in mm-hmm. a second. But just last thing as we talk about Patricio Pitbull here, uh, just a fun interview thing from behind the scenes. Talk to you know we can we can have this conversation in front of our listeners. But I'm mm-hmm. on MMA Junkie Radio. This is this is before any kind of. Um, COVID stuff or anything like that. I can't remember the reason why we were having to do a special because it was a live show. But sometimes we'd have to do pre-records. Uh, you know, you, you make special uh, assignment. Uh, you know, concessions for fighters, obviously. Of you know, um, and we did a pre-record. And I'm sure James and people that work in the media listening, we've all been here in some shape or form where you record it. And the, let's just say for whatever reason the interview doesn't go good. Maybe it sounds good and so the, the files corrupt. Happened. Or yeah. this one, it wasn't a file corrupt thing because like Patricia Pitbull doesn't have like the, the best translator, whoever he uses, um, yeah. unless it's Eric Al-Bahasin, which you're kind of dealing with a different narrative and that's another story. But usually he doesn't have like the best translator, but he usually had a pretty decent guy. Like we don't know who he had this day, like, but this guy like sounded worse than uh, Patricio. And not okay. only that, James, but their line, it was one of those things where the line is really bad. But it's good enough to where you're like, I think we can, I think we could make it through. I think we, I think we could push through it. I think, you know, especially if it gets better, as long as it doesn't get any worse than this, I think we can salvage it. You're, you're trying to decide, do I interview him? Do I stop it? What do I, what do I do? It was just good enough. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh no, I've been there. I've been there. I've had, you know, choppy video. I've had choppy audio. Uh, the translator stuff's hard because a lot of people, here's a pet peeve. This will I'll, I'll kind of segue into this. Go ahead, go ahead. A lot of people, when they do interviews with translators, leave the full thing in. And I hate that because it's so like, you don't, if you don't understand the language, you're going to just keep having to press fast forward. What I do is when I ask the question, I cut out the translator translating it and the fighter saying it over. I just dub over the English on the, on the thing. Like I'll give them a little bit. You can kind of hear it slightly underneath the audio. Audio, but I, I always make sure I do that. It's more work for me, but as a listener myself, like I interviewed Piotr Jan a few weeks ago, you damn right I'm going to cut up everything because otherwise it's going to be a 30 minute interview when it's probably only five minutes, right? Yep, because you totally. got to cut out all the other filler. So I personally like doing that. And I think if you're a media member, take the extra time to do that because your listeners are going to get impatient with having oh, to hear dude. a full translation. Oh, dude, I to- I'm totally with you on that, James. You, I, I'm totally with you on that. This one, we didn't have that option because by the time it came to the English part, this, and again, I'm not picking on this guy, I'm not picking on I love my Brazilian yeah. brothers and sisters, so please forgive me for yet another bad accent that I do on the show, and I do it to, as I do it to everybody. But uh, this one, this one will be relevant to what we're talking to. And just so you have an idea, like when it came to the English, like the only thing we had any semblance of his answer was he went. Uh, uh, it was like he would, he was mixing in Portuguese with the English when he was talking to us. So by you the get way. clues, yeah. And but but no, it was it, no, it was uh, not Patricio, the translator. So uh-huh. like, okay, translator, what did Patricio say? Well, he said, and then he would mix in Portuguese with like broken English to where we could barely understand the sentence. And the most thing we got from audio quality to his quality of translation was, and uh, we're going to work hard to fuck Chandler. And he said it like really emotional too. Like he was the fighter. And then you hear Patricio in the back, fuck Chandler. And then we're like, (laughs) okay, all right. Thank you for your time today. And we get through the interview. We're looking at each other like, 
if we package this interview? And one of my funny ideas was just to, I'm like, why don't I just ask like, all these, like, you know, have me answer? Like, obviously, we wouldn't and didn't do this, but I was like, it'd be funny. Just put all the answers as F Chandler. Yeah, F. Chandler, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, that'd like, be so, so funny. So what's the training going like today? Like, have a really well thought out question and then just keep replaying, like, this guy's butchered ass responses. I was just like, God damn it. I know that's a really long tangent for our listeners. I'm sorry. That might only have given um, fellow colleagues some justice. But, like, back to what we're talking about of giving Patricio justice. Yeah, you can't help but think, like, we're joking, obviously, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody's language. Like, dude, people that speak and try to attempt to speak second language, all the respect in the world, obviously. But you do got to wonder how much of that, you know, joking aside, affects the guys like the star power, right? Back to what we were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I mean, these are things that people need to know anyways, that, that happen and all that. And I think, I think people know what you meant. So yeah, know, yeah. They Hopefully don't, I didn't offend anybody that's there. their problem. You, you went into good detail on it. So there you go. Context, context, right? It's about context folks. Anyways, uh, if I were to guess your number two, is it a rematch, James? It is not. It is not. Okay. never mind. What this is was no- the fight I was teasing from earlier that a lot of people forget about, but it's one of the best fights of all time. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, do you want to hear what it is? Drum roll. Drum roll. Bellator 27. Joe Warren knocks out Joe Soto. Do you remember this fight? Yes. Oh, I re- I recently went back to watch this one for the show. Holy crap, great show. Okay, a lot, a lot of context going into this. First off, now I looked back at this and I didn't realize this at the time. I think Warren had his... So Warren won... Or sorry, not Warren. Soto. Soto was undefeated... Um, if you remember, he beat, uh, in the first tournament, he beat Ben Greer. No one really knows who that is. Wilson Hayes, he beat him, notable. Yahir Reyes, and he won the title off that. He was in the first Bellator tournament. He won the, he won the vacant title at Bellator 10. I see here he had a fight in between here for Tachi Palace fights. I wonder if he, like, just had a dispute with Bellator and had to give up the title because I see that they, that, like, the fight you referenced earlier with Warren and uh, Patricio Pitbull, that was for the vacant title. So why was it for the vacant title? Usually if you win the tournament, you're just the number one contender. So I think Warren, I think Soto had like a falling out or something because why is there this extra fight in here? And then the fight after that where he fought Diego uh, Saraviala uh, was a non-title fight. So I found that kind of weird. So anyways, I'm just guessing like by the sounds of it, Soto was the challenger, not the champion. I thought he might have been, but um, it doesn't look like it here because uh, like it, it, because it, like you said, Warren won the, the vacant title um, and I just checked that. So that's just a little bit of context going into this. The other bit of context going into this fight, Soto was undefeated. He was 9-0 and heading into that fight with Joe Warren and Joe Warren only had the one loss to Bibiano, but still uh, Soto was the favorite for obvious reasons, had more fights, uh, all these things. So the great thing about this fight is that Joe Soto was beating the crap out of Joe Warren. Like it was one of those fights where you're like, this is like, we're finally seeing Warren like unfold here, you know, like even that Pitbull fight, you know, you talked about the inexperience on kind of both ends of the fighters. Warren still did enough to get the job done. Well, this was a fight where you're like, man, Bellator's golden kid, golden child here, Joe Warren. I mean, he wasn't young at the time, but he was sort of their golden child. He's losing this fight to a guy in Joe Soto. Who no one really cares about him. He's a local guy out of California. Out of nowhere, second round starts, Warren lands a knee and knocks Joe Soto to the floor and just like, I actually, I want to say he hit him twice. I, I didn't actually make notes on this. I'm just sort of going by memory, but, um, but he, he hits uh, Joe Soto with his knee and he follows it up with punches and you listen to Sean Wheelock. And by the way, that duo of Sean Wheelock and Jimmy Smith, one of my favorite duos of commentary, totally. it doesn't get enough do there, but Sean Wheelock's going crazy. He's like Warren with the knee. He could do it here. And he goes out there and he finishes Joe Soto and he wins the, the title 
title, or I guess he defended the title in this case, and it was just such a good fight, so action-packed. This is one of those fights that it, it w- sort of was one of the staples of Bellator, and uh, it, it gets overlooked, unfortunately. Like, I see a lot of people have, you know, lists of comeback fights. This was definitely a comeback fight, and especially the way Warren finished it. Not only uh, d- giving Joe Soto his first loss, but becoming the first fighter to finish him. Such a good fight. You guys have to watch this fight if you haven't. I loved it, and a lot of people don't have it on their list. So, Dan, Tom, your thoughts? This is why number four and five were so hard for me to pick. Um, this was neck and neck with my other Joe Warren pick, the fight that happened before this. I went yeah. with, I probably went with the one that happened before this because of uh, eh, meaning, if you want to say that, and then you, you get to yeah. talk a bit about Pitbull as well, right? And I love Joe Soto, by the way. That's no knock on him. I just wanted to talk about Pitbull. So that's probably the reason why I didn't make it. But for whatever that's worth, it was neck and neck with the ones James just, James just mentioned. Because, again... I am a fan of Joe Soto, and it was interesting because Joe Soto could do jiu-jitsu and box, but he also came from a wrestling background, not as accoladed uh, as, as a Joe Warren might have been, but that was a big question. How is Joe Warren going to do when he deals with another wrestler, much less a guy that could box, and you see you know, Soto just uppercutting him, hooking him. like It's a clinic in the first round, and James, I love those fights right, where it's like one guy gets washed in the first round, and you're like, I don't know how he made it to the bell, and then he comes out and wins in the dramatic fashion in the beginning of the second. Like Those are some of the most... Like, it really messes with your emotions in a good way, uh, those mm. kind of a fights, because you just, you, 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 you can't fathom it, and it's really explained really well, as you kind of cited the uh, Jimmy Smith and Sean Wheelock example, who I agree, don't get enough credit. I'm really glad this one made the list, because it's really high on my list. Uh, that was, yeah, Bellator 27, another, another, another fight in the 2010s there, and uh, it kind of gave Joe Warren this kind of gritty comeback, and again, you know, this is where... You know, we've seen the, the chasm now. We, we just cited as far as you need more than wrestling. But this is still an era of MMA where wrestling is still an undeniable force, even if you don't have the other parts of MMA like Joe Warren did. But Joe Warren is kind of just a really interesting canary in the coal mine, right, James? Because yeah. I would argue even in this era of the sport where you can still get away with this style, the lower in weight class you go, even if it's wrestling is your one style, it's hard to get away with one style because as we saw in the WEC, the little guys are so technical and well-rounded. Obviously, we know that now. Um, so watching this guy, Joe Warren, with no experience, just like a bull in a China China shop, testing him against these all these different iterations of well-rounded, experienced dudes just made for some really fun fights. Quick tidbit on that card, Bellator uh, 27. Co-main event was Zach Makovsky and Nick Mamalis, uh, which was another good fight that was on that card in the bantamweight division. This was nice. back when Zach was fighting at 135. And guess who opened the card? You won't get this, but I'll mention it anyways. Steven Ocho Peterson fought at uh, featherweight, uh, opening the card, defeated a guy by the name of Ernest De La Cruz, Whoa. Uh, who's making his uh, pro debut. Shouts to Ocho Peterson, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, another Bell. I didn't even know he fought for Bellator. I just noticed that now. That's right. Yep. And then Zach Makovsky after that fight, he had another one that I had trouble tracking down, but I remember being a good one against Ed West at uh, Bellator Thirty Two. Yes. Ed West. Ed West also used to do very good vignettes for Bellator. They were hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you ever watch them? Yeah. So there you uh, go. Just wanted to give a shout to Zach Makovsky there, but no, that's a great number two, man. That's a great number two. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have guessed that that would have been your number two, but I'm glad, again, like I just said, that that fight got mentioned. All right, dude. It's number one time. Number one time. Uh, I'll go first, and you'll close this out, James? Sure. Sounds good. I'm, right. I'm guessing we have the same fight, or maybe we don't. We'll have to see here. Yeah, you know, it probably is the same fight. So, And if it is, it's actually this actually would be better if I go first because uh, yeah, go for although it. It, it's undeniable number one for most people, it's probably both are number ones, and we'll get into why and in all the juiciness that is the fight. But the setup to the fight... Um, was something that I can weigh in on because, uh, again, I'm, I'm an extreme couture guy, right? And then 
2010 to 2011, this is probably, this is actually like probably like November or October in 2010. And I'm sitting on the, on the mats uh, with my coach, Neil Melanson, and a new guy who's kind of in our grappling team and training circuit, and he's uh, training with the pros as well. And his name's Michael Chandler. And we're having this exact conversation where, you know, he's like 3 or 4-0. and oh. He was taking fights at welterweight, just knocking guys out, just trying to get, get fights. He wants to fight for Bellator, but again, folks, like we said, uh, Bellator at this time period, they are in their tournament era, okay? And he gets an offer from Bellator, but he's like, I got to wait till February of next year. And Chandler's like, I don't want to wait. I want to fight now. But if I fight now, I might ruin my opportunity to get into the tournament. And to be honest, I left that conversation thinking that he wasn't going to sign with Bellator. He ends up being disciplined, and it was probably better. He, he, I'm sure some coaches got in his head and said, dude, you could use that time to develop your skills. It'll be perfect. He goes into Bellator, and it allows for him, kind of like what James set up beautifully at the beginning of the show, where you have this no-name kid who no one really knows of him, right? Unless he went to Missouri or you were on the mats at Extreme Couture, you really didn't know this kid was coming up. And you see him face a guy, Marcin Held, and he gets through him, and it was a, it was a nail-biter. I remember watching that fight. Like, oh, my god! Held gosh. had him in a tough submission early on in that fight, if you yep. remember. I remember watching that fight. And if, yeah. my, if Michael Chandler doesn't have one of the best leg lock guys in MMA, which, you know, I talked about the lineage there Neil has from highest and Jim, um, Michael Chandler would have probably been at a loss. As we know, leg locks are, are a crippler for wrestlers who tends to leave their legs behind, right? So he barely gets through. He has a really impressive. He has some really impressive fights uh, against a, a pitbull brother, Patricky. That was a fight that doesn't get talked about. You know, Patricky was supposed to wipe the floor with him, but not only does he beat him, he beats him in a, in a thorough decision by standing up with him. And that's kind of the first fight where we see his boxing skills. Now, Michael Chandler during this whole tournament, he was probably working boxing, folks. He was sparring and working boxing, sparring, working boxing, and grappling with with Neil. But but a, a lot of boxing, and that was with Gil Martinez. And Gil Martinez was a great boxing coach who I got the pleasure to work with. He was really good because he had guys, and you see it in Chandler's, you see it in Chandler's style. And no shade on Alliance, great team. But the reason why Chandler loses this is when he goes to Alliance is because he was working with Gil, and he no longer worked with him. So by the time he faces Eddie Alvarez, the fight we're building to, folks, um, you see a lack of that head movement. But he really, you know, embraces his boxing and learns how to box on the job, which is pretty impressive. Anybody learning how to MMA on the job is impressive enough. But Chandler essentially learns how to box on the job, and he still comes in, obviously, as a big underdog to one Eddie Alvarez, the reigning and defending champion. I'm guessing we're building up to the same fight, are we not, James? 100%. It has to be. And this is this is actually my favorite fight of all time, too. Like, I, wow. I know people will say, it, it really is. And, and I'll, we'll, we'll get into it here. But to me, it's the significance of the fight. It's the way the fight played. Like, there's so many things to unpack from this fight. It was so good. And it also happened on the same night as Henderson yes. and Shogun, right? So a lot of people forget about it. it you know, and for the MMA gods being against us as we all like to joke about they were giving us a gift that night because yes. that was a great night i mean i did not know this fight ranks that high although wh why shouldn't it though right james let's get into it. let's hear why it ranks so high because it, it has it really has everything right literally yeah. everything yeah yeah i know it does um just from my perspective like 
this was a, a success of the Bellator tournament format. If, if Michael Chandler had not gone through the tournament, he would have never got this opportunity. It probably would have been a while because he only had, like, leading up to that, he had what? You, you mentioned the Patricki fight. That I remember being very significant. But he beat Held, Woodard, Lloyd Woodard, and um, and Patricki, uh, Patricki Pipple, then got to fight Alvarez. So, like, three fights in a new promotion and you get – well, he had more than that. I think he had two other fights in there it's as like well. Epic but my, my point like is, is that, era, like, yeah. he probably in most promotions, three fights would not get you a title shot in, like, some sort of tournament. So the fact that he did was good. People knew who he was because it's, hey, tournament winner versus this guy, Eddie Alvarez, who we know from Dream and fought in uh, Bodog and Elite XC and everything, right? So, or Show XC, I, I should say. So it was leading up to that. And just the fight itself, the pace is just insane. Both guys slugging it out. Alvarez gets dropped. Chandler gets dropped. Like there's so many moments in this fight where it's just high intensity drama culminated by Michael Chandler submitting Eddie Alvarez, handing him his first uh, submission loss, if I'm not mistaken. I know Alvarez would or actually no, Sorry. Aoki would have been the first one to submit him uh, in dream. But, uh, you know, it's, it had been a while before uh, since uh, since Eddie Alvarez would have lost. I mean, he was on a what? Uh, six, seven fight win streak heading into that fight. And yep. some good wins in there over Josh Neer, UFC vet, uh, Toby Amato, Roger Huerta, Pat Curran. Um, so, I mean, the fact that Chandler, this relative unknown at this tournament winner goes in there, uh, has a really exciting fight and finishes it. That to me, just the significance of it that night, Michael Chandler became the face of Bellator. I mean that you can't literally write something like that and make it come to come to fruition. And the fight itself was so good. Like how many fights can you say, even in the UFC, if you looked at that, like how many fights can you say this was the fight that made someone, you really can't say that about a lot of fights, but you can yeah. say that about Michael Chandler. Cause after that, you remember not only was he the champ. He's getting the Dave and Buster's commercials like everything sort of was on Chandler's shoulders at that yeah. point. And, and I remember even myself being like, man, I'm a fan of this guy. Like I didn't know he had it in him to be the stand up guy like, you know, with the striking and everything, because we just knew him, knew of him as sort of like a wrestler, like you said. And it was sort of, again, a culmination of all of his skills put together in this big fight against a guy in Alvarez who's tough to finish. I mean, Aoki sl submits so many guys and that the, the, the other uh, fight that Alvarez lost by stoppage was Nick Thompson. Nick Thompson looked like a middleweight in that fight. In yeah, it was a welterweight it, fight. Yeah, it, yeah. It was a welterweight fight title too, fight, but right. Thompson was way bigger than him, so we can kind of cross that off the list. And then, like I said, everyone gets submitted by Aoki pretty much. So really, if you look at that and the amount of experience that Alvarez had coming into that fight, because Alvarez at the time was 22-2 and two heading into that fight. So 24 fights compared to 8 fights, that's a huge gap in experience as far as MMA fights go. So the fact that Chandler pulled that off, it was amazing. It was awesome. I want to see if they have the betting odds for this because I know Alvarez would yeah, have been a favorite. Yeah, so, so Chandler actually wasn't too much of an underdog. I'm looking here. He was plus 190, but still, oh, wow. big win for him. And uh, yeah, just, uh, just yeah, it's my favorite fight of all time. I mean, I pretty much said what I had to say here, but I'll gush over this all day. It's awesome. There's a lot of parallels. Everyone loves Justin Gaethje, um, but there's yeah. a lot of parallels to these those two guys, both stylistically, the roles they played in the promotion. I mean, they are both the proverbial bulls in the China shop. Uh, the word explosive gets used and abused by commentators, uh, sometimes almost, <laughs> sometimes almost racially. But we're not going to go 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 there. But yeah. like when you want to talk about the actual thing of explosive, and again, I can speak for Chandler, the guy I've actually been in the room with. He is the top of the list when I think about people that are explosive. I mean, even when you know doing wrestling drills, he's in four point position. He's in a negative position. I'm afraid to fucking touch the guy. I mean. It, you know, when he figured out how to bring that explosiveness that he had in the in his wrestling to his strikes, boy, you know that I think that was a big deal. And I think maybe the the reason why the line wasn't as wide as we both thought, James, was because of that Patricky fight, and they saw that he could stand with a guy like Patricky for three rounds, uh, take his shots, and deliver the better ones. Perhaps that's the reason. But it's a you're right. It's a fantastic back and forth fight, and. 
you want to talk about, you know, not really counting against Eddie Alvarez's lightweight standings at Nick Thompson fight. I mean, Chandler just shook up the lightweight standings in general at this time. I'm not sure at what point. I believe at this point, Strike Force is still up and uh, is still up and running, but has already been purchased. Okay, so you've got Gilbert Melendez over here, folks, and BJ Penn over here in the UFC. Um, even though BJ Penn recently, I think, uh, recently got knocked off before this the year before, he's still kind of highly regarded. He didn't go on this tr tremendous, terrible run, and his legacy at least at that point at lightweight is still intact despite losing to Frankie Edgar. And then you've got Eddie Alvarez over here. So folks, basically from like 28 to 2011 when this happened, like it was it was it was the uh what do you call like uh it, it was like playing circle, you know, like uh, circling the drain or playing circling the landing. Who was going to land that number 1 spot? Was it BJ like we all thought or you know, was it Gill? Was it Eddie? And Gill and Eddie had a thing that, you know, Scott Coker even like humored member uh humored showed the text car. messages and everything. They tried to set it up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, this, I mean there was so much at play and Chandler just really was the straw to break the camel's back as far as that argument. Again, BJ had already lost, but once Chandler shook it up with Eddie Alvarez, for those of us following Alvarez's career, we're like, okay, we're in, we're in some new grounds here. This is crazy. Yeah, no, it was, it, it's so good. And I just like, it's another easy fight to show like a casual fan. Like this is what these guys do. They can wrestle. They can, you know, have a bit of ground game. They can slug it out. They can get dropped and still come back and, you know, find that second gear. And that's what fighting's all about. I mean, you won't see two more competitive guys at that stage in their career going at it. And that's what makes the fight so good. And again, like the context stuff we talked about Chandler being a star Alvarez, you know, persevering. Like it's crazy to think that Alvarez lost that fight and then went on to the UFC and won a title. Like it's, it's just, there's so many cool things about that fight that, that happened after that. Right. Or Chandler even running into a slide, losing to Will Brooks. You're not sure if he's going to get back on top, and then he does. And it's, yeah, there's just so many interesting things from that fight. And last thing on this fight, it has a similar theme to your number two, right, James? Where yeah. it, and it it lasts longer, but it's that similar, it's that dramatic, uh, it's that dramatic, you know, play with you effect. And I mean that in, in the best of ways where you end one round with a guy getting demolished. So in this case, it's Chandler. The third round, his eyes getting closed. I mean, he's getting boxed up like a, a, a Diaz. It's like a, it's like a, he's on the end of a Diaz brother barrage, right? Against the cage, his hands are down, even though that's not his style at this time. He's just doing it because he's exhausted. He's taking so much. You're like, dude, this guy's it's either going to be a standing stoppage. There's no way he's making it out of this round. And if he does, I don't think he's going to win this fight anymore. And then out he comes for round four. Blast Alvarez, takes him down. You're like, was that a mistake? Should he have kept him on the feet there and tried to finish him? But nope, which is why I love both these guys, even though they're wrestlers, both Alvarez and Chandler. They weren't afraid to put their hooks in, and Chandler gets rewarded for it with the RNC finish in round four of a literal back-and-forth fight. Last thing I'll mention on this fight, a uh, little cheap plug here, but I interviewed Eddie Alvarez uh, last week. He was on my podcast. You can look that up, youtube.com slash MMA. And uh, Alvarez revealed in that that when he was a free agent in 2018, he actually tried to pitch promotions about a potential trilogy fight between the two fighters, uh, You know, going to one, going to Bellator, going wherever. Chandler, if you remember, was a free agent at the time. Chandler ended up re-signing with Bellator, but they, he said they were close to making that happen in, say, one championship or whatever. So we might never get to see that fight again, but I, it was interesting that Alvarez revealed that uh just mentioning how close that that fight came to happening the trilogy fight absolutely that's a really good that's a really good point by the way shout out to the score mma you guys do great content there i meant to, to shout out that channel as well because obviously if you guys have been following james stellar content you know that's where you can find obviously uh the bulk of it plus other good stuff so i definitely want to give uh you guys and the great work you do over there a shout well thank you very much always trying to push original stuff that's what we're all about definitely, so definitely. trying to get you something a little bit different 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we came there uh, on our number one. Do you want to get the honorable mentions out of the way before we get on out of here, James? Yeah, sure. Like uh, I'm trying to think of like other ones that came to mind. Like there were there were some good finishes. I figure we'll just mention them in there. You know, Douglas Lima, Ben Saunders. That was one that oh, really yeah. stood out where Lima got a great finish sure. there. Uh, the Zach Freeman fight uh, where he upset Aaron Pico at the time. You know, just yeah. the significance of that being the first card in New York. Uh, you've got the double knockout from, uh, you know, well, th- they both knocked each other down and then ended up finishing it. Matt Mitrione, Fedor Emelianenko. I mean, there's so many good fights under the Bellator banner that, that often go- don't get enough love. Yes. Um, but but those are just a few of just, you know, some good finishes that, you know, that we could look at the two inverted standing triangle finishes, the Toby Amada yeah. and Jorge Masvidal, the Richard Hale one that happened yeah. at like heavyweight. Um, there's just so many good fights that, like I know Bellator now is especially during this quarantine they're trying to revive some of those older fights but there's so many good ones go look at you know any fight of like Jared Hess for example yes, that fought Hector in the Lombard. middle division Hector Lombard like oh. those are just classic fights that people don't know about uh, because it, it happened during a period where Bellator was not on a major platform so dude, dude, uh, if you guys have the chance go learn some history and watch some of those older fights totally Hector Lombard versus Jared Hess at Bellator 12 they go four rounds for that vacant middleweight title it has hurt his bloody. knee if I'm not mistaken yeah and yeah what's was that the fight he – I think that was the fight where he injured his knee, and he was never the same after that. I think he only fought like one or two more times and retired. Yeah, you know, and, and speaking of not being the same, on the other side of that, Hector Lombard, when I went back to watch that, and I also went back to watch Lomenko at 34 because I wanted to get oh. some Lombard on this list. Um, they were fun fights, but they weren't like, you know, with the meaning and all the other checkboxes, they didn't make it on this list. But still, what I what, I, what was fun is going back to – this was Hector Lombard's prime, man. It was not in the – it was not in the UFC. It was in Bellator. Um, this guy was so active. He was such so much more of a stalker. He's hitting like wrestling style takedowns more than he is judo takedowns. Uh, ground and pound takedowns, striking on the feet. Like he is so much more active than the inconsistent Lombard that we kind of got in the UFC. So I think that was kind of important to note. If you were a fan of watching Lombard fight, you should go back and revisit those. And Lombard was another guy that Bellator managed to get, and the UFC didn't. If you remember, I'm going to look it up right now. I'm trying to remember which fight it was. Lombard was supposed to fight in the UFC well before that, and they couldn't come to terms. He was supposed to fight. Where is it here? I'm trying to see if they have it. Was it? No. Well, it was. I know for a fact he was supposed to fight in Elite XC against Scott Smith. That fight got nixed. But there was another fight he was supposed to have. I'm trying to. It's not. They're not listing it here in Topology. I want to say he was supposed to fight Carl Parisian. I think. I could be wrong about that, but he was close to fighting in the UFC and it just for whatever reason did not end up happening and Bellator snagged him up and of course he won the tournament, uh, won the title and then he used that leverage to get an even bigger contract with the UFC later on. But like you said, probably past his prime. He was never the same when he fought in the UFC like he was in Bellator now. Could be a variety of reasons for that. We don't need to speculate there, but in general, Lombard was a lot more exciting in Bellator. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, it was a a much different Hector Lombard. Of course, the Roger Huerta fights with Eddie Alvarez and the second... Uh, Michael Chandler fight. It's it's really good too. I mean, the the first one's an amazing fight, but that second one, I mean, it, it's an amazing fight. You got some amazing grounded pound on both sides there too, as well in that fight. But yeah, those those are my honorable mentions, James. Uh, UFC seventy eight. I was right. Uh, Hector Lombard was supposed to fight Carl Parisian. That was on the Bisping Evans card, November yes. seventeenth, two thousand seven. And wasn't wasn't Rampage and um, Marvin Eastman on that same card as well? No, that card had so it was Evans and Bisping. The co-main event was Thiago Silva and Houston Alexander. So that that card took place in Newark, New Jersey, and that Carl ended up fighting Rio Chonin instead on that card. Gotcha. I associate Rampage there because I just associate that timing when you're saying about the the Lombard rumors when the UFC were buying those contracts, the Japanese contracts yes. uh, in and outside of Pride. This was kind of around that time where you know Dreams trying to buy people up over on Japan, UFC is trying to uh, scrap people up. It's a 
it's a kind of a crazy contract time. So yeah, I for, totally forgot about that. Great shout. No problem. I always love little tidbits like that of like fighters who are supposed to compete. It's like how like I just did an article recently on the score talking about like forgotten um, kind of champions and stuff. Or sorry, no, I, I had an article. Well, I had that one too, but I had that another article one. on. Uh, I had an article on um, uh, what was it? Uh, fighters like the best fighters to never fight in the UFC. Bibiano Fernandez made my oh, list. Yes, but I forgot great, that Bibiano was supposed to fight at UFC Calgary. They couldn't. He was supposed to fight Roland Delorme, but they couldn't come to an agreement. And I think yeah. from what I understood after talking to Bibi, because I see Bibi a lot. He doesn't live that far away from me here in uh, British Columbia. But uh, just talk to anyone. The UFC kind of tried to force his hand, and he's like, "Hold on a second here. Like, I'm a good fighter. I don't need to be bullied into any contract." And that's when one championship stepped in, offered him a great deal, and he's like, "I got to take care of my family," and and went over there and you know tore shit up. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, Bibiano Fernandez was a was a real player. I mean, I remember like uh, BJ bringing him in for camps, like against Frankie Edgar. Like this guy was like a really respected dude. Um, as far as guys, you know, uh, outside the UFC goes, that's a great shout. I love your list, by the way, and don't have any any issue. But I do want to give a shout that you reminded me of uh, uh, Mike Brown. Of course, is one of like the, the the champions. That really, you know, he's making more of a name as a coach now, so I guess it makes yeah. sense and good for him. But he was one of my favorite guys that because Faber was such a a poster poster boy for at WEC, like we're talking about Chandler for for Bellator. You tend to forget about these other guys who who uh, did a good job as well. Brown and and Brown was a guy that really carved his teeth out. Like it was back in a time when the UFC didn't have lighter weight classes. So Mike Brown fought in Bodog, if you remember back oh, in the yeah, day, yep. and then uh, went over to the WEC. And out of nowhere, this guy who no one really expected much of beats your eye favor. Was it was it twice or did he only beat him the one time? I was trying to remember, but twice, that was yeah. a fight where yeah, that was a fight where it's like wow, this guy had his number. But like you said, most people now that know Mike Brown know him as this great coach, but he was a high level fighter too. So that that was interesting. Yep. Yep. This was a fun. Uh, this was a fun trip down memory lane, James. This Big was time, really man. good. Thank you. I, I think we did. Uh, I think you know, just like we did WEC justice. I feel like we did Bellator justice. Hopefully, the listeners were able to learn some things and get some fights they can uh, go back and keep themselves occupied and go uh, enlighten themselves. Never a better time to go back and watch fights than now. If you can't find them on, well, obviously you can't find these on Fight Pass, but. You, you, Google is your friend. I'm sure there's some some of these fights that you'll see on here. I know Bellator, like I said, they put out 20 firefights uh, like in one video. So they act, and they actually did it quite well. It's all in one video, and the timestamps are there. So you can just literally, if you want to go to a fight, you can skip it. It's like a five hour video, so you can go through and look at some of their their 20 best fights. But other than that, uh, just just search on Google. There's all types of fights that'll pop up there. A good little history lesson for you MMA fans out there. Shouts to Bellator's video production too. They do a really good oh, yeah. job, low key. Like whether you're going um, to their shows live or the stuff they're trying to do as far as making their stuff accessible. Uh, th that's all. You can't get enough of that stuff. That's good. Yep, totally agree. Uh, shout out to that whole team uh, for just, yeah, and just having easily accessible uh, video as well, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. James, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, we've already kind of talked about it behind the scenes. I'm going to be having you back on for another project down the road. But until then, again, remind people where they can find you and your work at The Score. Uh, well, thanks first off for having me on. Uh, like I said, big fan of your work, not just as, you know, we're friends obviously, but I really respect the work you, you put out there. And I always uh, steer my listeners towards you when it comes to technical breakdowns, a lot better on that than I am. I'm more of a stats guy, but uh, definitely love to give you a shout out there. Uh, your listeners can get a hold of me. I'm easily accessible. Always, uh, always have my DMs open on Twitter and Instagram. If you guys ever have any questions about, you know, the media or any of the work I do or whatever, at Lynch on Sports, easiest way to find me and the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the score MMA. 
May. We put up videos every day, all original content, not stealing anything else from anywhere else or any of that stuff. We're all about original content. So check that out. I'm going to be having the, um, yeah, always do a and a every Monday. I usually do a preview show every Monday when we have fights going on, have the pros picks videos up there. And I also do a, a new uh, live stream called Early Look that I've been doing for a couple months now where we just really take a deep dive into some big fights coming up. So uh, yeah, your listeners can check that out too. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. This is a lot of fun. Awesome, dude. No, I love all the original work and, and the contents, the series. Um, but the craziest part about all that work you do, you still are like one of the most selfless dudes I know. You're always out there putting out whether it's videos or just doing doing it through the DMs. Uh, you're a man of your word and you're always helping people. You're doing the Lord's work, James. Thank you. Uh, please support James. And uh, if you have some leftover support, feel free to support this show. Uh, again, uh, MixedMartialAnalyst.com hosts it. You can find some click-through banners. I know we're using a lot of on it, a lot of Amazon at that time. You don't got to spend any extra money. I know money's tight these days, but it kicks back a small percentage that goes right to the show. Or if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, there's donate links. I hate asking for any of that. So the only thing I'll ask for is if you do like the show, a nice five-star ratings and review on Apple Podcasts or just sharing the show, subscribing to the YouTube channel that we're continuing to grow. Going to continue to bring you upgrades. No backdrop yet. I did get my hair cut. It didn't do too bad in my first quarter. Good job, James. yeah. I didn't want to go as low as I wanted. I'm, like, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Something that I should probably do more in my gambling world life. But <laughs> but that that went okay. We're going to be back with some more uh, non-haircut material. Don't worry. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back more on this channel. So thank you guys. And again, I hope you guys are all staying safe out there. Thank you for the love. And always protect the next.